responsibility as a church, and you can turn to John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have your devices on, you can move to John chapter 20, verse 19, and we're going to talk about impact, and uh, these four things of, of these four areas, introduce, integrate, invest, and impact, are very key to how we do life in this church. So we don't want people that just make decisions for Jesus. We want people integrated into a local church that they can be formed and discipled and be invested in and then become investors into others. And in that process, we actually start to impact and change the world, both locally, both to our neighbors and to the nations, both locally and abroad, both in our, in our, in our cities and in the cities of South Africa, both in this country and across the borders of this country. God has called us to think big and to be an impacting church. So let's have a look at John chapter 20, verse 19 through to 23. There we go. Cheapest, you guys are on it. Well done. On the evening of the first day, let me just put this into context for you, for those that don't know this text. This is the, the story after Jesus has been risen from the dead. He has appeared to Mary. Um, she's gone back to the disciples. She's run back and she's kind of and they, they, they're in this place. So this is the first kind of interaction that these guys are having um, after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so you'll see there in the evening of the first day of the week, Jesus was raised from the dead in the morning of the first day of the week. If you look a little bit earlier in John chapter 20, early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the, to the tomb. And so now this is after, after Jesus is raised from the dead and his disciples are hiding in a room because they're scared that their king, the one that they put their hope in, has died. And they're also scared about what the Jews and those around them are going to do to them because they were followers of this guy. And so this is the picture of an inward-gazing, fearful, uh, small-minded group of people. They've been with Jesus for three years and haven't kind of switched on exactly as to who he is yet. Look and see what he does. Verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you! Exclamation mark. It's amazing it says, with their doors locked, fearful. Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. You see, as soon as we, we, we can live our lives locked up and in fear, but when the risen Jesus comes and appears to us, when the risen Jesus comes and speaks to us, when the risen Jesus starts to burn in our hearts, and we get a revelation of this risen Jesus. Actually, what he does, he speaks peace into our hearts. And the result is joy. That's why the church should never be apathetic. Peace to you, Glenridge Church. Joy. This is what he goes in verse 21. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. He means it. If we're living in fear, locked up, God wants to speak peace into your hearts this morning. 
you're locked up with anxiety and you're locked up with fear, peace be to you in the name of Jesus. I pray something, even as I say those words, which are the words of Jesus, that something would unlock in our hearts and shift in our minds. Peace be with you, he says. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So he comes to this group of disciples that are fearful. They're locked up. He reveals himself to him. The next thing he says to them, as the Father sends me, I am sending you. That is such a powerful phrase. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You see, the very essence of a church is sent. It's going. It's living beyond itself. It's living and existing for the sake of others. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And the absolute good news about that is that we don't have to do that in our own strength because what he does, he blows the Holy Spirit upon them, which is the Spirit of God, which empowers them to do the very thing that he's called them to do. Amazing, huh? So we have, been, we have the Spirit of God on us, in us and on us, to be sent as Christ was sent. Are we excited about that? God is sending us, friends. So how was he sent? That's the question. So let's have a look at this. This church that was inward-focused and fearful all of a sudden gets joyful and outward-focused. Friends, a church that is inward-focused gets fearful and starts to fight battles within itself. A church that is outward-focused gets joyful and starts to take territory for the kingdom of God. And as soon as this church starts going inward, we're in trouble. We've got to be outward. We've got to be outward-facing and outward-looking. We've got to be thinking, how are we going to impact and change this city? How are we going to impact and change this world that we live in? How are we going to impact and have an influence in Mozambique and in Zimbabwe and in the suburbs of the city that are not reached or, or unpopulated with churches or need New Testament churches? How are we going to do this? We're going to do it like this. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So straight away we see there, as the Father sent me. In the same way I have come to you, I want you to go to the world. So how did he come? He came in humility. He came in un unexpected ways. He came subversively in many ways. He came with a heart to love. He came with a heart to teach. The same way he came, friends, we've got to be going. And what he did is he took his message and he embodied the expectation of Israel and the expectation of God for his people and for this earth and embodied it in his very life. He proclaimed it through his words. And they felt it through his deeds and his actions. Friends, that is how the church is meant to be impacting. 
We are meant to be embodying it in our lives. I want to talk a bit more about that. Who we are, the very essence of our being, should be impactful. More than that, he proclaimed it through his words. And then he began to act and begin to do. The church is a doing group of people. It's an acting group of people. It's a proclaiming group of people. But it's also a being, embodying group of people. We don't just talk about this life. We live this life. And the greatest tragedy in the church at the moment is that the world doesn't see the church as being relevant because it doesn't see the church living out what it says it's meant to be doing. So, so the very first thing about living an impacting life is just live it out. Do every, have the integrity to say, you know what? If the Bible says stop committing adultery, if the Bible says stop sleeping together before you get married, don't do it. Because it's very confusing when you're sleeping with your girlfriend to then be going to your mates and saying, you know what, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Very difficult. So we start to see Jesus. You see, the mission of Jesus, the, the way Jesus did this thing is the way that we should be doing it. In his words, Jesus announced the kingdom of God. The church should be announcing the, the good news that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ. That he is Lord of all creation. He's taken back everything and all authority is his. And actually to live our lives out empowered by him. In his actions, he just demonstrated that the kingdom of God came. I'm repeating in a different way this, what I've just said. He formed a kingdom community. It's quite incredible, friends. Jesus doesn't leave a book behind. He leaves a community behind. He leaves a community of people and a very different kind of community of people. He leaves them together. He gathers them. He teaches them. He forms them. He teaches them how to live with each other and their differences. A very diverse group of people. He pulls them together. He teaches them and he forms this community and he says to this community, now I want you to go and impact and change the world. In the same way the Father sent me, now I want you to go. He taught by instruction and example. He didn't just say, tell them what to do. He lived it out. The church should be instructing and exampling if we're to live this message, the kingdom of God. And lastly, he suffered for its sake. Friends, this world that we live in is not going to come without its suffering. And if we're going to, be, if we're going to go as Jesus went, and if we're going to be sent as Jesus was sent, Friends, it's going to involve suffering. He suffered for its sake and he challenged the idolatrous culture of the time. And he said, actually, this is not the way to live. This is not the way to be human. This is, watch me, this is the way to be human. And all the love and the kindness and the generosity and the, 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 the doing what he saw the Father doing, all those sorts of things was actually what he taught them. He lived a missional life. He lived an impactful life. I love this, this little phrase of David Bosch, who was a great missiologist. He said, mission is the mother of theology. And the reason why he says that, because you see, the reason why we have all the epistles and the letters written by Paul and Peter and John 
is that they were now on mission and encountering in situations that needed resolution, theological, theologically thinking it through, and what does this practically mean? How does this work itself out? So the reason why we've got theology in many respects is because the church is this missional church that actually encounters uh, situations. What do you do when you get to a context, for example, where polygamy is the, 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 the order of the day, where one man is married to many women, and that man gets saved? What does he do? Does he, does he stay polygamous? Does he choose one? Which one does he choose? What about the children from all of them? You see, friends, this is the real situation. That's why mission is the mother of theology. Now you've got to think that through. How does that mean? What does that mean? The customs of the day, the context. I don't know what the answer is. When I'm there, we'll get there. I know what the ideal is, but I also have a real world that we live in. So how do you work that out? How do you figure that out? You see, when we're impacting, when we're moving, when we, when we never have to argue at, or, or, or think through theologically things, it means we're not on mission. So we just stay safe in our little locked-up rooms instead of getting out there and changing the world. You see, the mission of the church is the participation in the sending of God. It's the way we impact and change the world. It's just how we get out there. We begin to participate with God's heart. Absolutely profound. Listen to this. I love, I love this slide, by this, this quote by Christopher Wright. If we can get that one. Next one, please. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. You see, mission is not something that bolts onto our impact. When we say impact, it's not something that we kind of add to. No, 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 the very, it's because God wanted to impact and change the world. Because God had a mission to save the universe, He sent His Son. And because God has a mission for the world, He creates His church. The mission, the church, I love that, let me say it again. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world. It is that God has a church for His mission in the world. God has you because of the mission that He has in His mind. God has you and me because actually He has a plan that He wants to put from heaven to earth, and we are the tools and the instruments for that. Isn't that incredible? Which means, friends... We don't come to church on a Sunday, sing songs, and go home, and that's it. It actually means that actually we ask God, God, number one, am I growing personally? God, am I impacting? We start to ask God, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm introduced to you, but actually am I an introducing kind of person? Lord, I'm an integrated, I'm coming to this church, but actually am I integrating others? And am I really integrated? Do people know me? Or do they just see me on a Sunday? Do people know my weaknesses? Does somebody know that I have somebody that I can talk through the things of God that pertains to my own life so that I can be transformed into the likeness of God? Am I investing? Am I being invested in? Am I, am I investing in others? 
And am I impacting changing the world? Friends, every church member, every believer should have an ID book and a passport. Identity, who you are, passport, your purpose. You to go to the nations and tell people about Jesus. And friends, whether that's, and if 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 you're saying, but Stan, I'm 80 years old, I'm not, I, I can't travel that much. You see, this is not about everybody having to do exactly the same thing, but have you got a heart for that? And you know you have a heart for that when you pray for that and you give to it. It's a way that you can participate in the nations. Pray for it and give to it. The last thing about that little statement before I get into three simple things about impacting the world is number one, it says you. It says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. That you is not singular, it's plural. As a church, we've got to remember and be reminded of this continually. So many of the yous in the Bible are not singular, they're plural, it's communal. This thing doesn't happen without a community. It's not about a whole bunch of single people Uh, individual people doing their thing. It's about a community carrying this and doing their thing. And in the midst of that, God will use individuals. But there's this communal weight. There's this communal prayer life. There's this communal financial life. There's this communal weight that takes people to the nations. It's plural, not singular. This church is bigger than us. It's bigger than me. It's about me going to the world. And in fact, friends, it's bigger than us as a local church. That is why we have relationship and partnership with New Covenant Ministries International, NCMI. It's because we want to be connected relationally to a bigger picture than ourselves. We want to, we want to have a, 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 a group of men and women that we can call on if we're in trouble, a group of men and women with translocal apostolic prophetic hearts that can come and help us build and that we can help them build into the nations. And that's what New Covenant Ministries is is for us. That's what we went now to meet with Dudley Daniel, who was the founder of New Covenant Ministries many years ago. And so he has a wealth of experience in part to us, the, the younger generation, the next generation. Friends, that you is communal, not individual. Three fundamental things of a church that is an impacting people. And we need to be all three. Number one, we call to be a sign. So a church that impacts understands this. We are called to be a sign. It means we point people towards Jesus. It means we point people in the direction they should be going. Number two, we're an instrument. We do things. We're used by God. You see, without action, we, have, we lack authority. It's no use talking about it but not doing it. And at every level, we've got to make sure that our action and our talk 
come together in integrity in, in the same space. And thirdly, we are to be a foretaste or a preview of what's to come. And you see what that does. A sign points, an instrument does, and a preview or a foretaste is bees. When I say be, it's got to be who we are, being. Not just doing, our being is the sent people that Jesus talks about. So let's have a look quickly at sign. The next one around the sign, please. That's what a sign does. It gives us direction. It's directional. It's visible. And it's informational. So a church that is pointing its way to Jesus, people can look at us. They don't confuse us with Jesus or us with God. But what we do is when they look at us, through our lives and the lives that we live, the, the exampling and the instruction that we give, actually they move, can move towards Jesus. So your church that is impacting the nations, that is impactful, understands that it is a sign pointing to Jesus. Number two, we are an instrument. We are God's workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2 says. That is the most expensive Stradivarius violin in the world. But you know what? A violin left on the shelf, doesn't matter how expensive it is, accomplishes nothing. It's not what it was designed for. You see, the church that is impacting is an instrument that is played by God, that is doing, that is accomplishing, that is functioning, that is purposeful, that's practical. We are workmanship. We are the workmanship of God. We are God's poems. That word is poema, which you get the word poems from. We are we're an expression of God to the world. We are an instrument in His hands, a work of art, a bit of poetry, or maybe even a Stradivarius violin that needs to be played. And some of us, friends, need to allow God to start playing us again. Instead of, instead of being locked up in a room, fearful. Rodney Stark, in his book on the rise of Christianity, asked the question. He was a professor of sociology and comparative religion in the University of Washington, and he wrote a book. And he asked this question, how did 120 Jewish followers in the first century turn into a multi-ethnic movement over 30, with over 33 million followers by 350 AD? So how did this, this small group of people become this massive influential group of people by the time Constantine and Constantine and all those guys were around? He said, how did they do it? And his conclusion was threefold. How simple is this? Number one, the early church took care of the sick and the poor. Plagues were catastrophic in those days. And this is what Dionysus, the bishop of Alexandria, wrote about the Christian community. He said this. He said, The Christian community embodied the gospel by nursing the sick and even the dying while the pa pagans abandoned the sick. He noted that the pagans threw their sick into the roads before they were dead and treated their unburied corpses, corpses as dirt. Those are quotes. Amazing thing, eh? 
How did it grow from there to there? Rodney Stark, and we know that it's more than that. There's the Spirit of God moving and all those things. But Rodney, from a sociologist's point of view, it took care of the sick and the poor. Number two, the early church honored women and endowed them with dignity. How did it, how did it move from this to that? It gave women dignity. In an age where women were classified as children regardless of age and were the legal property of men, where men could divorce their wives by simply, simply by ordering a wife to get out of the home and just treated them like rubbish. How's this? If a woman was raped by her husband, was raped, her husband was legally compelled to divorce her if she was raped by somebody else. Female babies were often killed. But the church comes and Jesus' message comes and the women start responding to the gospel in, in their droves. They were amazed that their husband was to love them like Jesus loved the church. Husbands, please love your wife like Jesus loves the church. 120 to this massive influential group because the husband loved their wives like Jesus loved the church. Imagine in South Africa if husbands loved their wives like Jesus loved the church. How this nation would change. They were amazed. These women were amazed that Jesus could use them in every, he could just use them. Useful to Christ. Absolutely amazed. One, sick and the poor. Two, the emancipation of women. And number three, the church was a multi-ethnic local church movement. The fact that the church was, that people were so divided in Antioch, the church came with this community that was where divisions didn't matter, whether what, how much you earned and what nationality you were, it didn't matter. As long as you believed in Jesus, you were in this community of love and God accepted you. Simple things, friends. A church that gets over its racial issues and cultural issues begins to change the world. You see, they were an instrument in God's hand. And thirdly, and lastly, if we want to be a church that's impacting, we've got to be a sign, we've got to be an instrument, and we've got to be a foretaste or a preview. I'm going to, I'm going to go with the, with, the, with the example of preview. You know what a preview is? And I've, I've used this illustration before. Yeah. A preview is like the trailer of a movie. But what's the point of a preview? What's the point of a trailer? It's to get you excited about what's coming so that you go and watch the real movie. And what that does is it uses, it uses parts of the real movie in the moment. You see, friends, we live in the age where we have both the real presence of Jesus in the kingdom now as well as an expectation for what's to come. We have the first fruits of the kingdom. We are the firstborn of new creation. We expect God to move now like he will when he comes again. And you see, the church that understands that it's both a, it's, it's a sign, it's an instrument, and it's a preview, 
starts to live differently. We start to view the world differently. We look at our neighbors differently. The way we interact with people is different. The way we parent is different. The way we live out our marriages is different. The way we do business is different because we know that we're a preview, that people are, we're the trailer, that people are watching, getting something of what's to come and pointing them towards that Jesus and that King. Friends, we want to be an impacting church that understands that we live the preview. We are the trailer. We understand something of the heart of God through the scriptures and by His Spirit. And we, when we start to live, people get excited about coming to the movie. Jesus didn't leave a book, although we have the scriptures. He left a community that knew that they were a sign, an instrument, and a preview of what's to come. Are we living impactful lives? Are we the preview? I end with this. Michael Goheen in his book, A Light to the Nations, says this. These early Christians understood themselves to be different from others in their culture and lived together as an alternative community nourished by an alternative story. What is the story we're living? The story of the Bible that was impressed in catechumens in the process of catechism, in the process of teaching. It was pressed on them by teaching. The entire catechy, uh, process had the pastoral purpose to empower a distinctive people shaped by the story of the Bible. The community was thus shaped by Scripture was an attractive sign of the kingdom in the, in the midst of the Roman Empire. The early church's rites and practices were designed to reform those pagans who joined the church into Christians, into a distinctive people that individually and corporately looked like Jesus. As such, these people reformed, these, as such, these people reformed would be attractive. We're so trying to get people into the church. And trust so trying to get this thing to grow, when in actual fact we just need to understand we are previews. And as we live that out, people are attracted. We're an attractive community, and so they were. A second or third century Christian remarks, beauty of life causes strangers to join, join the ranks. Beauty of life causes strangers to join the ranks. We do not talk about great things, we live them. Evidence of this is found not just in the testimony of the early church, however. Even the enemies of the church, Celsius and Emperor Julian, for example, admitted to the appealing power of its communal life. Individualism is robbing the church of the power of a communal life, especially in this nation. What was the content of this exemplary life? The early church broke down the barriers that had been erected in the ancient world between rich and poor, male and female, slave and free, Greek and barbarian, in a creative, confounding, sociological impossibility. What was impossible, the gospel brought together. A potent gospel of love and charity was exercised towards the poor, orphans, widows, sick, mine workers, prisoners, slaves, and travelers. The exemplary moral lives of the ordinary Christians stood against the rampant immorality of Rome. Christians' hope, joy, and confidence shone brightly in the midst of despair, anxiety, and uncertainty 
that characterized a crumbling empire. Christian unity contrasted sharply with the fragmentation and pluralism of Rome. Christians exhibited chastity. They stopped sleeping around. Can I just, it's coming up to me over and over again this morning. Friends, friends, stop sleeping around. If you are not married, you should, be not, should not be sleeping with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. And if you are, and they're going to break up with you because they don't, rather break up with them. It was the thing that distinguished the church. When the church becomes so the same, no contrast, there's nothing to, no difference. Christians exhibited chastity, marital faithfulness, and self-control. Marital faithfulness. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Self-sacrificially, giving himself up for her. Means he was more concerned with what she wanted than what he wanted or needed. And self-control in the midst of of a decadent sex-saturated empire. Generosity with possessions and resources along with the simple lifestyles mark their lives in a world dominated by accumulation and consumption. It sounds exactly like our world, and that was the world in Jesus' day. For giving love toward one another and towards em enemies, witness to the power of the gospel. The lives of believing community nursed and shaped by the biblical story enabled them to live as, a, as resident aliens, as lights in a dark world. In the cultural context of the Roman Empire, their contrary values led to a contrary image of community that was attractive. The witness of the early church was publicly subversive. The early church did not allow itself to be pushed into a private realm in some obscure corner of, the Ro of Roman society. They were not locked up in a room fearful. It refused to conform to the public doctrine of the Roman Empire and lived out the story of the Bible instead. Its confession that Jesus is Lord stood in stark opposition to the confession Caesar is Lord, which, which bound the empire together. To say that Jesus was Lord and not empire meant that you actually could die. It called itself Ecclesia, a public assembly called out by God as the vanguard of the new huma humanity, explicitly rejecting the notion of being a mere private religious community interested only in future and otherworldly salvation. In the early church, we see something of a community that understood its identity as a people called to bear witness to the kingdom of God in the midst of and for the sake of the world. God is calling us to the nations. God is calling us to bigness. God is calling us to be a sign. God is calling us to be an instrument. And God is calling us to be a preview of what's to come. Let us in Jesus' name, by His Spirit, say, God, how can I better do that? And we will impact and change this nation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you that we have got the, the original pioneer in front of us who is blazing a, a trail, who's already in front, that we can follow. Jesus, so we pray, Lord, will you stir that in our hearts? Will you stir that hunger to go to the nations, to go to proclaim the gospel, to, to, to bring truth 
to bring light everywhere where we go. Jesus, will you stir it up? Let, let this church get back to its roots of being a sending church. A church that empties itself out to send people. So, Lord, will you stir it up again, Lord? Will you stir it up? Will you raise church planters? Will you raise people to go on mission trips? Lord, will you stir it up, whether it's just in, in your neighborhood, to your neighbor, or to the ends of the earth? Will you stir it up, Lord Jesus? Lord, we say we are ready, we are willing, we are able through your Spirit. We are able through the Word that is, that is cemented in our hearts. We are able through just what you've already shown us in, in, in example, Lord Jesus. So, we, Lord, we say yes. We say, I will go, send me. Send me. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. Wonderful. Thank